All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Hey, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us here on the set again. We are so honored that you tune in every single week and how you like, you follow, you share. Um, Thank you, everybody, everybody, from the depths of our hearts of how you have supported this podcast in this last year. Um, God has been terribly faithful to us. Um, You know, the Bible says that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has in store for those who love him. And Studio B just started off as a idea um, of trying to connect with people that don't necessarily don the halls of churches. And since then, God has taken it and expanded it um, all for his glory. I want to thank all of those who who email, who comment um, about the podcast, who share the podcast. Man, I've been getting some phenomenal emails And I just want to thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. I know that there's a lot of uh, podcasts that are on every platform out there, and you have your pick on who you want to listen to and devote the hour or so um, time of your life to listening to. And so we don't take your followership and your viewership for granted. So thank you um, very, 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 very much. It is greatly appreciated. And on behalf of the team, Steve Miller, Dominique Kennard, Bing, um, Walt August the third, those who work behind the scenes, those that are not in front of the cameras, uh, but we always want to give them their proper due. Um, their their work and labor um, on this podcast has just been phenomenal. So everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you again. Uh, we just crossed over 6,000 subscribers. Uh, remember, we're trying to get to 10,000 by the end of the summer. I know we can do that with your help. I know we can do that with your help. Um, and so I want you to like, follow, and subscribe to the the podcast so that you don't miss anything going on here on the set of Studio B. I'm in the set, uh, on the set by myself today. And for the last four weeks, we have been doing this series called Normalizing Success. Um, and I've had um, Latasha Norwood, who was our first guest, um, entrepreneur, African-American female, who's doing very, very well in life. Um, I had Dr. Shante Grace, who is the chancellor at uh, Houston Community College. Uh, Last week I had, um, uh, who did I have? I had uh, Dr. Um, LaShonda Page, um, a double master, double doctorate um, young lady that is doing some phenomenal work um, in the school systems here in Houston, Texas. Um, And then I also had Dr. Marva Hill. Um, PhD that works here on the staff of Bethel's family um, that is an exceptional woman and doing some exceptional things in life. And so the the premise of the last four weeks was to normalize um, success. And I was highlighting four African-American women who were prominent in their particular fields of study, whether that was in education, whether that was in entrepreneurship and whatever field that they happened to be in. um, I wanted to highlight them Uh, So that people can see that success is not something that we strive for. It's just something that we do. Um, Excellence should not be something that we try to attain. It should be something that we live in. 
And so these four women were were examples of four African-American women who have four unique stories. Um, and all of those four unique stories presented challenges and obstacles uh, and things that they had to get beyond and past in order to achieve um, the level of success that they are now all enjoying. And so this week, or next week starting, I'm going to have four African-American men um, who are highly successful in their fields of study, whether that's education or entrepreneurship. Um, Even in religious studies, I'll have um, a pastor on here as well. And their stories are also unique because they are presented with challenges and obstacles and the like. And so, again, the the premise of this, the 30,000-foot view of this, Uh, is to show that success is indeed possible. Um, Miss Rhonda sent a uh, email. I haven't got her permission to uh, read that email, Um, but the email in essence said, thank you so very much for presenting African-Americans in a positive light um, and giving us the examples by which we can all strive for. And I really appreciate that email. Because uh, I have said before and I will continue to say that African-Americans must push back from the narrative that is being framed for them, um, that we are not helpless people that are needing people to lift us up, help us out, open up doors and do this, that and the other for us. We are highly resourceful people. We come and we stand on the shoulders of gr- our great ancestors uh, who overcome, who overcame tremendous odds in order for us to be here today. So I want to thank Ms. Rhonda for that email um, because it is something that I deliberately and with great intention try to do is to push back against the narrative for black America. Um, and I hate to, you know, quantify it as black America as being like a sect or something. Um, but the idea that African-Americans are helpless people and that we constantly need um, everybody's help. And so I want to thank you for that email because it was greatly encouraging. And I did share it um, with all four of our previous guests um, so that they can glean from it as well. Um, but today I'm in the studio and I want to kind of set up what the next four weeks are going to look like. Um, And I want to do this from a standpoint of where I am as a pastor and how I kind of look at the world and how I look at it through a biblical lens. I often share this when I'm teaching, when I'm going over, um, especially in the book of Romans, when we're going over um, exegetical passages. Um, I talk about this a lot, um, that the Bible is one of the unique or the most unique writings in all of history. Um, Of course, we know the second Timothy three and 16 says that all of scripture is inspired by God and it is given for instructions and and reproof and correction that the man of God may be equipped lacking no good thing. So we know that the Bible, the 66 books of the word of God are inspired by God. But it's a very interesting note when you start looking at the, the, the intricacies of the Bible, because starting from Genesis chapter number three, Uh, And going all the way over to the book of Revelation, we see people um, that God used that were not so perfect people. Uh, As a matter of fact, of all the chapters in the Bible, uh, there are only four chapters in the entire word of God that do not have sin. That's Genesis 1 and 2, and that's Revelation 21 and 22. So Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22 are the only four chapters in the entire Bible that do not have sin. 
Everything else between those four uh, chapters have to involve the fallen nature of man and how God is working in and through a fallen creation in order to restore it back um, to the blessings of God. And so beginning in Genesis chapter number three, we know the great fall. I'm not going to go through all of that, but we know that in Genesis chapter number three, something grave happened. And that was sin entered into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. From Genesis chapter number three, all the way to Revelation chapter number 20, there is the working of God to restore the chasm that sin caused. So now God is over here. He is a holy God who used to commune with the people of God every single day. When sin entered into the world, it drove a distinct wedge between a holy God and a sinful man. And so from Genesis chapter number three, all the way to Revelation chapter number 20, it is God's working to restore that chasm that sin had caused. And he is doing that through a variety of different ways. In the Old Testament, um, he uses people that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, he uses people to lead other people into his glory, back into right standing with him. And so he used people like Moses, David, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. He used a lot of people in the Old Testament to lead um, the people of God back to God. He would also give ordinances and commands. Uh, of course, we get the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws that God gave um, the children of Israel to restore that relationship. But ultimately, how God restores that relationship between a sinful man and a holy God is by sending his one and only son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who is the only man outside of Adam to ever be born sinless to ever be born sinless. But unlike Adam, he remained sinless. So there are two men and only two men that have ever been into the world, birthed into the world. Now, Adam was not birthed into the world like Christ was, but there were only two men that were never sinful. But there's only one man that kept that sinless nature, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so this person of Jesus Christ is God's primary way hear what I'm saying, of bridging the gap or the chasm that exists between a holy and perfect God and a sinful man. But as you look at the people that God uses, God uses some characters. And one of the ways that we validate the scriptures is to look at the characters by which God used and the people that God used. Because if I wrote the Bible, if it was my book, uh, I wouldn't put any of the nonsense that I see a lot of these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament doing. Um, God does not stray away from the people that he used and the things in which they were involved with and the path that it took for them to get to a particular place. Uh, God does not stray away from that. Um, we know that Abram, um, who was the father of many nations, um, this man in Genesis chapter number 12, chapter number 11 is where we first find him. Uh, he comes from uh, Ur of the Chaldees. He is a pagan man. Uh, he is about 75 years old when he hears the call of God. Get away from your country, from your father's house and from your kindred 
and go to a place that I will show you. Abraham being the father of the nations, here's a call from God to go to a land that he never, ever saw. And we know that through his obedience, um, we all are an offspring of the obedience of Abram to God the Father. But we also know some things about Abram that are not so good. So we look at him as the father of many nations. Um, We look at him as the one who birthed the nations. But Abraham had a past. Um, Abraham was a a drunkard. Abraham was um, a liar. Um, Abraham put Sarah in harm's way in order to save his own neck. Um, There's a lot of things about Abraham that if I were writing the Bible, if I was the author of the Bible, I would not put in. But God does not stray away from those uh, not so good moments in Abram's life or Abraham's life. Uh, We go to Noah, um, Noah being the one that found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis chapter number nine. And we know that God was so burdened by the evil that was up on the earth that he relented or that he was remorseful that he had even made man. And so he decides to start afresh, to start from scratch. And then he he beckons Noah um, to go and build this boat uh, for the saving of his household. Um, But Noah was not a a, a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Noah had some faults and Noah had some issues um, that would disqualify him from a lot of the things in which we think people who serve God should have. Um, Noah, again, was a drunk. There was a whole lot of drunk people back in the Old Testament. Uh, Noah was a drunkard. Um, It was one of the things that characterized his life. But yet the Bible says that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God used this man with not such a, a good history to save his family and ultimately repopulate the world. Uh, We look at David, David being probably um, the prime example uh, of the Old Testament, one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament that even people out of church know who David is. Um, Even people that don't go to church know Psalms 23. Um, David was that man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. But as we look at David, many of us know the pitfalls in David's life. He had a lot of issues. And he had a lot of issues that were prevalent issues that not just affected him, but affected his family and those closest to him. David had some issues. But in that same in that same vein, while he had issues, God used him greatly. So we look at the people and we look at them at the echelon of their lives. And we look at this man named David, who was the king of Israel. We look at Abram, who was the father of many nations. We look at Noah, who was used by God to save his household and repopulate the entire earth. We look at these people at the echelon of their lives, but we don't we don't remember. We don't pay a lot of attention to how they got there. And so when I was talking about life for the last four weeks about normalizing success uh, with these four prominent African-American women who are highly successful in all of their fields of endeavor, um, I was really trying to hone in on all four guests about the journey. Because many of us pay a lot of attention 
to the destination, but we don't appreciate the journey. And see, the destination is an event. The journey is where I learn. And as I look at all of the people that I just mentioned to you, yeah, we can look at him as being the father of the faith. Yes, we can look at him as being used by God uh, to build an ark to save his house. Yes, we can look at David as being the king of Israel and a man after God's own heart. We can look at them at the top tier of their lives when they're standing on the mountaintop, but that does not do them justice. What does them the justice and what gives God glory is the journey that it took to get there. And so this whole last week and these whole last month, even last for the last couple of months, and that's why I so appreciate uh, the emails that I've been getting. They have been greatly encouraging um, because people are finding out and people are really beginning to ponder their lives in a whole new way. Um, everybody, I believe that God has a magnificent plan for us. And I believe that the plan that God has for us far supersedes anything that we can imagine for ourselves. However, that magnificent plan that God has does include struggles, low points in your life, waypoints that you wish you could forget about, people that may betray you, people that may stab you in the back. In order to get to where God wants you to go, there is a journey that everyone must take that will involve heartache. It will involve pain, struggle. It will involve all of those things in order to get you to the place where God needs you to be. And here's why it's important is because if you die in the valley, you'll die in the valley knowing that you got something greater for your life. But because you can't get past these particular struggles that you may be going through, the ultimate goal of what God is doing in your life will never be realized. And so when I, when I highlight people and, and, and we talk about their stories and we talk about people who, you know, like Dr. LaShonda Page, who has two master's degrees and, and two doctorates, um, you'll see that, but you don't talk about, you know, her mother had her when she was 14 years old and that she was diagnosed with ADD and, and all of these other things. And people told her that she would never do this and do that and do this. Um, you know, we talk about um, Latasha Norwood, who um, who has a successful um, 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 consulting firm even to this day, but uh, almost failed out of college and had to sleep in her friend's dorm room. Right. So we talk about and we like to look at the titles and we like to look at the prominence. But I promise you, the prominence is just the tip of the iceberg. You got to see the struggle. And so I want to show you something today that I pray will help you. Um, as it has helped me um, get through my own struggles in life. Many of you who have been around me for any length of time know that I take the aha moments away from people. Listen, I just kind of share it. Um, I'm not embarrassed by any of the waypoints of my life. Uh, I'm not I'm not ashamed of the struggles that I've had to go through, the, the adversity that we've had to overcome. I, I have learned at this particular point in my life that those pit stops um, were necessary in order for me to be at this place at this particular time. There is no way that there would be a Pastor Holman if there was not all of these waypoints along my life that I had to go through. 
And so, yes, we talk about uh, me and my wife struggling our marriage. If you've heard our podcast, we are very, very open with that. Um, we've talked about the financial struggles early on in our marriage. Um, we've talked about all four of our kids were very, very difficult pregnancies. Um, we've talked about all of that stuff because it's in all of those waypoints, all of those little pit stops, all of those little difficulties, all of those valleys that we had to go through that we learn to operate in the blessing and the, in the, in the anointing that we are currently in. And without that stuff, y'all, without that stuff, without all of that, there would be no me. And so I, I want to encourage you because I hope um, as you begin to look at your own life, as you begin to look at your own life and begin to ponder what life means for you and what you are meant to accomplish in life, um, you got to have a bigger view of yourself. You got to have a greater view of yourself and you got to really see yourself through the eyes of God. And I, and I try my best, even though I'm a pastor, I love, I love being a pastor. I love doing what I'm doing. Everybody. I love um, this particular point in my life, man. I, I, I have a good life, man. I'm blessed. And I'm not just throwing out I'm blessed and I'm highly favored as some religious colloquialism, but I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I got a good life. Um, I wake up excited. Um, I wake up looking for the things in which God is going to do that day. Uh, I'm an extremely blessed individual. Um, I look at my wife, I look at my kids, and I'm able to put my hands on what God is doing in my life. And for that, man, I'm thankful. So it's hard for me to have a bad day or to stay in a bad day because uh, I have bad days, but I try not to stay in them. Um, I try not to let that bad day get the best of me. Uh, but as I look back over my life, I see the tremendous blessing of God and what he is doing in and through my life. And I pray in Jesus' name that as we, as you look at your own life and begin to start asking yourself some real serious questions, that you really see your eyes or see yourself through the eyes of God. And I want to take you to a passage here, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be there long. But um, we talked about this offset with a guest that's coming up, and this is again setting up what's getting ready to happen here in the next four weeks. As I bring on now four African American men um, who are highly successful in their fields of endeavor as well. Um, but this is one of the um, scriptures that we got into and really begin to start to dive and unpack as we were talking to one of our guests. And it's a very familiar passage. I've done 10-minute table talks on it. I've talked about this. I've preached about this. I've taught this on numerous of occasions. Um, and as I said in a couple of 10-minute uh, table talks a few weeks ago, that if you've been around me any length of time, you know that my favorite, most absolute favorite book in all of the Bible um, would be the book of Romans. Uh, Romans by far, if I got two books that I could take out and take with me, um, if I was stuck on a desert island and they told me that I only had two books, uh, it would be the book of John, the gospel of John, and it would be the book of Romans. Um, the book of John, because it tells me who Jesus is and the book of Romans, because it tells me how to follow him. So in Romans chapter number 12, it's a very familiar passage, but I want to unpack it just for a bit in the time that we have here. Uh, Paul is writing to this church at Rome. Um, and this church in Rome is under severe persecution. The Roman Christians are facing a very, very difficult time. Um, they, they have some things that are working against them um, in their newfound faith. And as it is with anybody that comes into the faith, uh, a newbie in the faith, they are greatly excited. Their, 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 their outlook has changed. They got a new perspective on life. 
And if you talk to anybody who is freshly born again and God has turned over the soil of their heart, man, they're excited. They're on fire. They're telling everybody about Jesus and they're, they're praying for everybody and they're always in the word and they're always praying and trying to get closer to God. Those are those newbies. When they first get into the faith, man, they are on fire with God. And this is the this is the church at Rome. Um, the church at Rome is on fire for God. And, and, but that fire is quickly trying to be quenched out um, by their opponents. And as anybody would testify, when God has changed your heart and you go around people that you used to run with whose heart has not been changed and you come with the fire of God, with the passion of God, man, let me tell you about what God has done. Let me tell you how God has changed my heart. Uh, those people that you used to run with whose heart has not been changed are not so excited about your new change. And that's exactly what's happening in the book of Romans. Um, you got some newborn, uh, newborn believers who are excited about their faith, but they are in an environment that is not so excited about their faith. And so the people around them are not just discouraging them, but are persecuting them to the hilt to get them to stop with all this Jesus talk. And so they are facing tremendous persecution um, from the forces of Rome and thereof. And so Paul is writing to the church at Rome, telling them to be encouraged um, about their faith. And the theme of the book of Romans is in Romans chapter one, verse number 16, where Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so there's a tendency in the church at Rome to shrink back from my testimony because I'm being persecuted so heavily. I want you to hear that. And everybody listening to me now has been in that same place where you've been in environments where you have not been so bold as to speak up about the things of God. And that's just because of the environment that you're in. Uh, you could have been at your family's house. You could have been at, at neighbor's house, at co-worker's house. And, and here's what they say when you walk into the building. Oh, there go that Jesus guy again. There go that Jesus girl again. Calling you a holy roller, persecuting you and making fun of you, making you feel less than nothing. And so what that does after a period of time is begin to make us shrink back from our confession. And so Paul says, first of all, we need to understand that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I know that the gospel of Christ will not be welcomed in a lot of the circles that I operate in. Um, people may shun the name of Jesus Christ, but I agree with Paul in Romans 1 and 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So Paul is speaking to this church at Rome to encourage them to continue on in their faith. And saints of God, even before I get to Romans chapter number 12, I want to encourage you with the same words of Paul to encourage you to hold fast to your faith. Um, I understand the world in which we're living in. I understand uh, we are living and increasingly living in an anti-Christian uh, environment. 
I get that the things of God uh, um, are, are, are quickly being pushed to the fringes of life. Um, this book is considered archaic. Um, I do not want to be told what to do. Those Christian folks are those Christian folks, those radicals. I understand wholeheartedly uh, the environment that we are living in, but I want to admi- admonish you with the same words of Paul. Hold fast to your faith and don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so in chapter number 12 of the book of Romans, here's what Paul says. I beseech you. That's some strange language, um, especially in 2021. We don't typically go around um, in our day in our culture talking about I beseech you. Um, but but another word for that that was that is easily understood is that I'm urging you. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm pleading you. Um, Paul says, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Uh, He's talking to born again believers. Now, let me just insert John chapter one, verse number 12, for as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. So in John chapter one, verse number 12, he says, for as many have received him, the him there being Jesus Christ to them. Those are the ones who received Jesus Christ. He gave the power and the right to become sons and daughters of God. So Paul here is talking to born again believers by saying, I urge you therefore brethren or believers. And here's what he's urging us by the tender mercies of God. So in chapters 1 all the way through 11, uh, Paul is laying out a case, um, a doctrinal case, if you will, about some core competencies of the Word of God, of what our faith should entail, the, the, the core or the primary pillars of our faith. Paul takes 11 chapters to really lay out a foundation about what the Christian faith is. And then as he lays out how God has dealt with the Jews, how he lays out how God has dealt with the Gentiles, how he has laid out that God has given us a way through them, through the person of Jesus Christ, how he has laid out that while we were yet sinners in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. As he lays out some practical but foundational uh, uh, principles for Christian living, here's what he says in chapter 12, verse number one, considering what I just told you in chapter chapters one, all the way to 11. I urge you by those tender mercies, by remembering those tender mercies to offer yourself a living sacrifice. Now hear this, everybody. So Paul is asking the church at Rome to remember what God has done in and through their lives and using that as basis for them to live the rest of their lives. In other words, Paul says, remember the tender mercies of God. And by remembering the tender mercies of God, it should encourage you to live for God. By remembering what God has done in your life, it will prompt you to live for God in your future life. And so Paul says here that I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, Christians, by the mercies of God. So remember, going all the way back to uh, chapter number one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and remembering that that even in a hostile environment, we must hold fast um, to our confession of faith. 
And even when you go to uh, Romans chapter number two, uh, you'll find these infamous uh, verse, uh, words in chapter number two, verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is saying from chapter number one, hold fast. From chapter number two, remember that the wages of sin is death. But instead of giving us death, God has given us eternal life through his son. And God is telling us that in Romans chapter number five, that in due time, he died for the ungodly. Paul is telling the Roman Christians to remember those tender mercies. And as they remember those tender mercies in response to remembering, we offer. In order for true worship, um, I've said this on many different occasions, but I think this is a great time to say it now. In order for true worship to happen, there must have, there must, there must have, there must be a good memory. You got to have a good memory in order to have good worship, uh, because good worship is predicated on two things: who God is and what God has done. That's true worship. True worship is always predicated on two things: who God is and what God has done. And if I'm entering into worship and I'm able to experience the presence of God, I got to I got to understand two things. Who God is, who I'm worshiping, uh, Elohim, God himself, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, that God, God that God, I'm, I'm worshiping God. And then I have to remember what God has done. And in remembering what God has done causes me to lift my hands in worship. And so Paul says here in the same vein in chapter number 12, verse number one, that I beseech you brothers by the tender mercies of God that you offer yourselves a living sacrifice. So Paul says, based on our remembering, we offer to God something. And what we are offering to God, I need you to hear this, everybody, is a living sacrifice, an ongoing sacrifice. Now, that's an oxymoron because a sacrifice is a one-time event. Once I lay a sacrifice down on the brazen altar, uh, that sacrifice is gone. It's consumed. It's a one-time event. Um, A sacrificial offering is a one-time event, right? But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that I offer my body a living sacrifice, meaning that it is an ongoing offering. That every day that I get up, I'm offering myself unto God to be used by God for the advancement of his kingdom. But how do I do that? That's not just preachery talk. That's not just this this Christian lingo that we throw against the wall in hopes that it sticks. Paul says in order to do that, you got to remember what God has done and who God is. And so when you understand that, when you understand who God is and what God has done, it will automatically, and I do mean automatically, offer in response a living sacrifice unto God. That's verse number one. And he says, this is what we should do. Offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Now, now remember here, we're talking about we're talking about encouraging you to understand that where you are right now, the place that you're in right now, God, God himself, the same one that spoke the world into existence, that God knows who you are. Now, the Bible says that the very hairs on your head are numbered. God knows who you are and has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. But in order to understand this plan, in order to unpack this plan, in order to walk in the anointing of this plan, you have to understand a couple of things. 
And one of the things that Paul is trying to get the Roman church to understand is that God has been good to us. And based up on his goodness, based on who he is, it causes us to respond in a different way, in a much different way. And he said, that's the least that we can do. I often share this with my kids that um, I'm giving you a 10 by 10 spot in my house. It's a 10 by 10. It's called your room. And the least that you can do, considering that I pay the mortgage, I pay the bills, I put food on the table, I put clothes on your back, I provide you with the lifestyle that you are enjoying. Um, The least that you can do to show some thanksgiving for all of those wonderful works is to keep this 10 by 10 clean. This 10 by 10 space. This is the only space in the house that you are directly responsible for. I'm not asking you to pay mortgage. I'm not asking you to pay the light bill, the the gas bill, the water bill, the food bill. I'm not asking you to do anything. Only thing I'm asking you to do is to keep this 10 by 10 space clean. Right? And it's in the same vein by which Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, look at what everything that God has done for you and the least that we can do. That's the absolute bottom. That's the absolute least that we can do is offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Now, with that, this is where, with that little setup, uh, this is where you get to verse number two, and this is why I pray it encourages you. Because this is what I have been saying on this particular set for the last year. Um, Everybody, I don't care what life throws at you. It's going to throw some hell your way. And as my grandmother used to say, God rest her soul, if life has not slapped you, just keep on living because it's coming. Life is going to deal you a blow that may be terribly difficult to get up from. Life Life is going to challenge you at some point in life. However, you have to change your mind. Your mind is the reason you are where you are. In any capacity, take any compartment in your life and trace it all the way back to how you think about it. Wherever you are financially, wherever you are in your marriage, wherever you are career-wise, it is all a result of the way you think. And if you think bad, you live bad. In order to get to the life that God has planned for you, that he desires for you, you have to change your mind about life. You don't just take what life comes along, what throws along. You don't just take what comes along in life. Paul says here in Romans chapter number 12, after he says, by the tenders of mercy, by the tender mercies of God, present ourselves as holy and acceptable unto God. And that's our reasonable sacrifice. He says in verse number two that we got to do after we presented ourselves, here's what we got to do now. We cannot be conformed to this world because hear this, hear this. Whoever's on the other side of this podcast, whether you're listening to it, whether you're watching it, hear this. You cannot have what God has or what God wants you to have and have what the world wants you to have at the same time. You can't have both God and the world. You just can't. You're going to have to draw a line in the sand and you're going to have to decide which destiny you're going to chase after. You're going to have to decide in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own spirit, what's more valuable to me. Either I want what the world is going to offer me and the world is going to offer you a lot. 
the world is going to offer you a lot. It's going to be a whole lot of bells and whistles. It's going to be a whole lot of likes and retweets. It's going to be a whole lot of comments on your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter page. It's going to be a whole lot of stuff that the world offers. And man, it's going to look nice. It's going to shine just like gold. But you can't have what the world wants you to have and what God wants you to have at the same time. You have to make a choice. And so Paul says here that we cannot be conformed to this world, this system of belief, this this narrative that they're constantly trying to put people in. They're constantly trying to put people in individual boxes because that's easier for people to deal with. If I can group a mass of people into one box, I don't have to deal with them individually. Okay, but but here's the problem with putting everybody in the same box. People are not homogenous. You can't just place them in one box because the Bible says that I'm uniquely made. Psalms 139. I am uniquely made. There is only one me. There's only one you. And if I spend any time trying to be like the one you, I miss the one me. And so it's important that we understand that you can't have the world and God at the same time. This world is trying to change you and it is not trying to change you into the image of God. It is trying to change you into the image of the world. You and me, every single day of our lives, our minds are trying to be changed by something. All the TV shows we watch, all the television commercials that we watch, the social media, all of the stuff that we're seeing right now is meant to change us. Even right now, as you are watching or listening to this podcast, The words in which I'm speaking to you right now are meant to try to change you. Everything, everything from from A to Z and everything in between is meant to persuade you to one degree or the other. There is no arbitrary things in life. There's nothing that just kind of happens. Every single thing that you encounter on a daily basis is meant to change your mind in some way, shape or form. Paul understands that in chapter number 12, verse number two. And so that's why he is admonishing the church at Rome not to be conformed to the world. And the world in that day was Rome. Well, what was Rome? Rome was a very pagan society. Rome was a a society that thought not about the things of the divine God, but they, they really placed a lot of emphasis on many gods. So they had Apollos, they had Diana, they had Xerxes, they had all of these different gods by which they would bow down and worship, especially as you're going to Greece and the city of Athens. So when Paul tells them not to be conformed to this world, he is specifically talking about Rome in that day. But Rome in that day is equivalent to the world in our day. The exact same similarities. It is amazing that we um, lift up things that are completely antithetical to the to the things of God. And we lift those things up as though they are to be admired and cherished. But hear this, saints, you got to wake up every single day and you have to make a decision not to be conformed to this world because this world only has one path and that's to death. So when Paul says in chapter number 12, verse number one, do not, it's a command, do not be conformed. And the word conformed there is better yet defined as squeezed. Um, Not to step on anybody's toes, but we all got some clothes that we can no longer fit. And you know that those clothes no longer fit, but your body has changed. 
And as opposed to going to get some new clothes that fit you, you try to squeeze your changed body into clothes that didn't change. And so what are you doing? You are squeezing yourself into something that does not fit you. As a born again believer, understand this. As we are operating by the system of the world, the system of the world does not fit us. We are trying to be squeezed into a system that does not fit. Because we no longer operate by those principles. We no longer operate on the lying, the stealing, the killing. We no longer operate by those principles. And if we are a born again believer in Christ Jesus, we are suppressing the Holy Spirit or what the book of Ephesians talks about, grieving the Holy Spirit as we are trying to fit into molds that we are no longer shaped for. So what we have to do is not be conformed to this world. And this again, everybody, this, this, I'm not going to say it's gotten me into trouble, but it's, it's led to some very interesting conversations. Um, I look at life. I try my best. I don't get it right all the time. Uh, just ask my wife. She, she knows me better than anybody. I don't get it right all the time, but I try my best to filter life through the lens, uh, through a biblical lens. Um, I, I try to, I try to ask myself in very, very pivotal points of my life, you know, what does God say about it? Now, again, I don't get it all the way right all the time because I'm, you know, I'm fleshly just like everybody else. I got feelings. I got emotions. Sometimes I get caught up in my emotions. Sometimes I get caught up in my feelings, right? As we are all subject to do at some point in time. But what I try my best to do is to try to filter um, the issues of life, the, the problems of life, the concerns of life through the lens of the word of God. And I try to do that because the word of God is objective. Um, it, it does not take sides. God doesn't take side. God stands on the side of God and God stands on the, God, uh, on the side of God and all by himself. Um, you know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that because he had nobody greater to swear to, he swore by himself. Um, so God is his own standard. So when I look at the issues of the world and the problems of the world, I'm just as offended, maybe just as mad as others may be. But what I try my best to do is try to find the biblical response to that problem. Um, because hear this. Yes, I'm an African-American, but I'm going to die as an African-American. I'm going to live forever as a believer. So I am a believer. I am a believer in Christ Jesus. And so when I'm looking at the affairs of the world, I try not to dive into the same boat, into the same pond and start talking about the same things that everybody else is talking about, because I'm trying not to be conformed to this world. I'm trying my best. And it's difficult, y'all. It's difficult. It is difficult because this world is constantly, constantly, constantly sending competing messages my way. Uh, my wife and I are in a position right now to where we have our children, three of which are in college, one's getting ready to finish high school in a couple years. We have to trust God that what we've put in them is able to stand when they're off at college in these classrooms and auditoriums with teachers that do not believe what we believe. This world is constantly pushing and pushing and pushing against us. And so I get it, everybody. I get it. Social media tells us that we want to be liked. Social media says nobody wants to be hated. Uh, do this, you know, do it for the gram, you know, do it for this, do it for that. You know, 
act this way. Cause if you act this way, a lot more people are going to like you. If you act this way, than if you act that way, I get it. Everybody, the world is a beast and it has mastered conformity. And so it takes a whole lot of intention to not be conformed. It takes a whole lot of intention not to be conformed because listen, I can chase success one way. I can chase it the world's way and I can have a lot of money, a lot of prestige, nice house, nice car. I could have all those good things, man. I could dress real well. I could be successful in, in the world's eyes. And while I'm successful in the world's eyes, it counts as nothing in God's eyes. I can chase success one or two ways. The world offers me a path to success. The world offers me a path on how to get ahead. It just means that I got to step on my neighbor. I got to do what I got to do. I got mine. You get yours. That's the world's success for uh, the world's recipe for success. I can follow that as a lot of people do. It takes a lot not to be conformed to this world. I don't take this lightly. I'm not throwing this against the, uh, the wall and hoping that it sticks. I understand that temptation is all around us in every way, shape, or form. I even understand, and this is to the detriment of the church, that the world is even creeping inside the halls of the church. But Paul says here in verse number two, that after we recount the tender mercies of God and all that God has done, it naturally creates a response to want to live for him and offer ourselves a living sacrifice to him. We got to be in the hands of God and get out of the hands of the world. So be not conformed to this world, but here's what we have to do. Here's the hard part, everybody. Here's what you're going to have to have to get through. Here's what you're going to have to change your mind about. You got to be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. You got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you have to think differently. Always remember this as a golden rule. And this is what I try to live by. Uh, I, I try my best. And I, I do this. I, I tell this to my kids, to my wife. Listen, if I see 99 people going that way and I see one person going the other way, I want to know what the one person know beyond the other 99 because he knows something that 99 other people don't. And that's a good gauge for me. If I see everybody going in a particular direction, that's indication to me that that's a wrong direction. It's a wrong direction when everybody is going in that direction. If you look at anybody that has done anything successful and that has impacted anybody's life at a, at a, at a macro level, those, those people went against the grain. They went against the grain. They went against common thinking of their day. Now, I can throw some people out there to you like Jeff Bezos, who sat in his garage and, and, and started Amazon. I can tell you about Martin Luther King, who went against the norm of his day by wanting to reach across the political and the racial uh, aisles in order to do some things. I can tell you about people that have done Henry Ford, people that have impacted people's life at a macro level. All of those people have been very strange thinkers and have gone against the grain. And it takes courage. Please hear what I am saying. It takes courage to think differently. If you think that it's easy, if you think that you're sitting in a room and everybody's propagating the same idea and belief and you in your mind don't believe the same thing, it takes courage to speak up for what you believe.
Trust me. Trust me because guess what? When you do that, you put the bullseye on your chest. So being transformed by the renewing of our mind may sound easy to say in chapter 12, verse number two, but it's a difficult assignment. It is difficult. It's difficult to be different. It's difficult to think different. And when I say think different in Paul's context here, Paul is saying that the way that we transform our mind is not by bringing up some esoteric thinking and going back to what the former God said. He's saying transform your mind and think the way that God thinks. Think the way that God thinks. He says transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as not to prolong our time and not to go all the way into the weeds of it, um, it's a metamorphosis. It's a caterpillar to a butterfly. Um, The process of being great, um, the process of not chasing success but chasing significance is a very painful process. Um, Everybody, it takes a different mentality to do the things that God has called for you to do. It takes a different mentality set of thinking. It takes uh, you surrounding yourself with different people. It takes different mindsets, different ideas in order for you to be all that God has called for you to be. And so I'm going to stand on this mountain and I'm going to die on this mountain. And I'm going to die on this mountain with this thought. Greatness is within you. Greatness is within you. Greatness is within you. But you have to decide to allow the greatness to come out. Everybody, you have to redefine what that success looks like. Everybody's not going to be a COO, CFO, and CEO. Somebody's got to take out the trash. Somebody's got to make the food. I don't define success by the numbers or by, by the numbers on your check or by the letters in front of your name. I don't define success in that way. I define success as a productive member of society who is living life and impacting other people's lives. Greatness is with is within you. And so as you change your mind, everybody, um, I want to provide a platform. I believe God wants this platform um, to be a platform of encouragement and building up when so much of the world is hell-bent on tearing down. I believe that what we can do in order to better this world, I'm not talking about a kumbaya moment. I'm not talking about world peace or any of that foolishness, but I am talking about um, treating people with dignity and respect, Um, even people that you don't agree with, even with people with difference of opinions and views as you do, Uh, because I believe that the, how to encourage a person and to encourage a person is much more profitable than tearing that person down. Um, It's easier to build um, a a, a good child than to try to repair a broken one. And so encouragement goes a long way. And as you're looking at the, 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 the book of Romans here given to us by Paul, as he is talking to the church at Rome, I want you to take away some of those same points. I want you to know that you shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Um, Everybody, I am a believer. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a born again believer in Christ Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of me. My um, future eternal home is heaven. 
Um, but while I'm waiting on heaven, God's got some work for me to do down here. Um, and in that same vein, so do you. Um, remember, two things are predicated for worship. Uh, remembering who God is, understanding who God is, and then remembering what God has done for you. And that's Romans chapter number 12. And so as we come up on these next coming weeks, I'm going to normalize success. Uh, but I want you to pay attention to the pinnacles of their life and the great successes in their lives and the high five moments in their life. But man, I want you to pay a lot of attention to the struggles of their life. Cause that's what I want you to glean from. Um, I've said this many times before about, uh, uh, my pastor, our pastor, Walt August Jr. Um, here at the church of Bethel's family. Um, for those of us who know him, um, understand his story and understand the determination that it took um, for Bethel's to be in a position that is in right now, literally uh, impacting people's life, not just in the far and southwest area or the city of Houston or the state of Texas or the continental U.S., um, but are literally impacting people all around this world. This little church um, in the hood in southwest Houston um, is literally affecting people on other continents. Um, and God has been extremely faithful in that. But if you take a, if you take some time to get to talk to him and and get to understand the story behind all of it, um, uh, the stuff that he had to pour into this ministry um, in order for this ministry to continue on, the blood, the sweat and the tears, literally of having of what he had to do in order him and his wife, Ruby, um, in order to um, pour into this church so that it is what it is right now. People look at it right now, and as we tour people around, and many people have seen this, they're like, wow, wow. But you know what they're looking at? They're looking at the destination. But it's not the destination. It's the journey. It's, it's, it's those journeys. It's those journeys. If you talk to him, you'll hear Pastor August say himself that 2012 was his most difficult year of ministry. It's, it's in those times, Right? that forged the way for Bethel's to be where it is right now. And say, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor it, but I need you to understand some bad stuff and some bad stuff in life is going to happen to us. It just is. You're living in a sinful world. It happened in Genesis chapter three. It's going to happen. Um, A dear friend of mine was just talking about upstairs that, family member, her niece, here today, died this morning. Bad stuff in life, I, I can't explain it. Don't, don't have a recipe or a formula for it. Don't know how to tell you how to look out for it. I, I don't know the warning signs. I just know that life is going to throw some stuff at you. But you can't die in the valley can't die there. You got to be, you got to go, you got to believe, you got to gird yourself up. It may take you a minute. You may have to stumble around a little bit before you catch your footing, but don't die in the valley. God has a wonderful plan for you. And that plan is so much greater than what you can imagine for yourself. So everybody, I want you to be encouraged, man. 
read the book of Romans. Um, see what Paul has to say, because there's a lot of stuff that Paul is talking about in the book of Romans that is absolutely applicable in 2021 um, in our day today. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged because God is for you. And if God is for you, it's more than the world against you. This is the key to life right here. That 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 Bible right here is the key to life. Uh, so everybody, I want to thank you again for joining us here on the set of Studio B. I pray that you are encouraged, and I pray that every time that you tune in um, and and listen to Studio B, that you have some takeaways um, that you can practically apply to your everyday life. Um, as we're not trying to be a noise maker or a noise box, we don't want to just be another podcast. Uh, we want to bring forth some grassroots, uh, grassroots solutions um, to help you in your everyday life. So I want to thank you uh, on behalf of the team here at Studio B. Thank you for joining and thank you every single week, um, every Monday and Friday. Um, just know that there are some live uh, tapings that are coming up here um, very, very shortly. Because um, I do have some people in other countries uh, that I want to get on the podcast, but of course we can't get them here to the set of Studio B. So we're going to make some things happen here in the next couple of weeks um, to bring some live um, uh, guests via other continents uh, for your enjoyment. These are people that I guarantee you uh, you will be able to glean from and draw some great encouragement from. So everybody remember, wherever you're watching us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, like, follow, subscribe, comment, wherever you access your podcast from, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, wherever it may be, iHeartRadio, all of those platforms, you can find Studio B right there. Um, remember, everybody, we're trying to hit 10,000 by the end of summer. I know that we can do this. We are a year into Studio B. Uh, a year has already come and gone. Um, I believe this is episode I don't want to say it because when it comes up on the screen, I'll be wrong. But it's like 50-something. Um, thank you for all of those who continue to, to to tune in every single week. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your comments. It is greatly, 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 greatly appreciated. And everybody, until we see you next week, God bless you. God keep you. If God before you is more than the entire world against you. We'll see you next week.